So the book of, of Haggai, we're going to uh, kind of do this a little different. This is a, a very small book. It's two chapters. And so what we're going to do is just walk our way through it this morning. We're going to walk our way uh, through the entire book of Haggai. Um, to kind of give the setting, uh, it occurs around 520 B.C. After 70 years of exile in Babylon, uh, the Persian ruler Cyrus the Great captured Babylon in 539 and the next year, he permitted uh, a group of Jews, the, the group of Jews that were there in Gavidi, to return to Jerusalem so that they might rebuild the temple. You can read about this actually in Ezra, uh, the first uh, few chapters of Ezra. Uh, and what happened was they went there and uh, they built uh, the foundation. And that's as far as they got. And that brings us to God's word uh, coming uh, to the people. Here's what it says. We're going to read the start for the first four verses. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? The, the first thing I want you to notice in, in Haggai is that there's just lots of references to the word of God came. And, and so we see uh, this, this idea time and time again of the word of God comes. And when the word of God comes, know that it has authority. And it always comes to three different entities in the book of Haggai. It comes to Zerubbabel, who was a governor. Uh, he kind of had the, he was the politician of the day, the, the guy in charge of the nation as far as it goes as a political group. And it would come to Joshua, not, not the Joshua that we're so familiar with, but Joshua who at this time was a priest, and so the Word of God came to the religious uh, leader of the day. And then it says time and time again that the Word of God came to these people. And so, listen, the authority of the Word of God is over everything, okay? It's over the political powers, the politicians, it's over the pastors, but it's not just for pastors, it's for all people. When the Word of God shows up, it has authority okay so know that first of all that the that when god's word shows up and commands us that we should follow and so what is god's word to them the, god's word is look 17 years have gone by and i'm looking around and and your your houses look pretty nice You've got a several year a long time to to really make your house, I'm looking at, I don't know what a paneled house was back in the day, but apparently it was fairly swanky. And, and so God said, look, your houses look nice. But I look up towards my house. I look up towards my temple. And it still lies in ruins after 17 years. You got the foundation, but you didn't follow through. You haven't followed through. You all of a sudden turned 
in on yourselves and your own interest and not my interest. So first, let me, let's, let's talk about how that applies to us. Let me tell you how that does not de- apply to us. Many pastors use this, use this, uh, this book of the Bible to kick off building campaigns. They do. They say, this is about the fact that you need to stop uh, spending money on yourselves, and we got a church to build here, and we need to build, just like in, 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 the, in this day, just like they built the temple, you need to be willing to give your money so that we can have a nice church building. And that is basically exegetical gymnastics to pull the purse strings from the congregation. Because you are not interpreting the scriptures correctly. If you are putting some parallel or comparison between our modern day church buildings and the Old Testament temple of God. The Old Testament temple of God, it was the house of God. And it was at a time when God was doing something very special in the nation of Israel. And it was a place for people to come and see what he was doing for Israel. And so it was a very important place. It was his dwelling place. It was, he was sitting there dwelling in the midst of his people at the temple. But there has been a fundamental change in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2.5 talks about what the temple of God is. It says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what is the temple? What are the stones? It's us. It's the people who have been saved and, and, and live according to live, live for God. In Ephesians, uh, it says this in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 19, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. Then skipping to verse 21, uh, carrying this idea of citizens in the household of God, it says, In whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If we are going to speak literally of what this building right here is, it's a shelter from weather so that the true temple of God can meet together and come together. It's a very expensive temple. Uh, We are a very, I'm sorry, a very expensive weather shelter. We're still paying for it, but that's essentially what it is. Hey, I'm thankful. Aren't you thankful that we have a shelter and this time of year that we're not having to worship in 95 degree or 100 degree heat. I'd like to think that if we didn't have that, we would still meet together and worship. I'd like to think that I would, but I'm thankful that it's here. It is what, there's nothing sacred in and of the bricks and and mortar and, and sheetrock of this building. What is special is, what makes it special is what happens here on Sunday or any corporate time or any time we meet together to, to do ministry and to prepare for ministry in our community. That's what makes this place special. It's not that, that God lives in, he, God's everywhere and he's especially with the people that he has saved. Now I believe that it makes a statement when it looks nice. We've had some work days recently. Our, our building committee has been in overdrive, and I appreciate 
just some of the facelifts that, that, that are happening around here, uh, the work days we've had to really make this place look nice. You maybe not, didn't notice last Sunday, these lights are brighter back here. The screen is clear because all that's been replaced in the last two weeks. Why? Because we feel like this is part of the face of Wyatt Baptist Church. Hopefully it's not the main part, but it, is, it makes a statement to our community. And if our community wants to have nice school buildings and, and beautiful downtown, then the place where, where we meet as Wyatt Baptist Church to worship should be nice. It doesn't have to be a palace. It doesn't have to be extravagant, but we, we should desire for it to look nice. And I'm, I'm appreciative of what's been happening lately to make that happen. But it, this is a place where we meet corporately and it is a launching pad for us to do ministry. And it's precious for that fact. But it's not the temple of the Old Testament. That was a time when God wanted people to come and say, look what God's doing for us. And, and in the New Testament, we have moved more to go and tell people what Christ has done. Okay? And so buildings are not as important uh, as the temple was in the Old Testament. God, however, God, make no mistake, God is still commanding that we build up his temple. We, just like the people of Haggai, have been told, build up my temple. However, it's not about bricks and gold. The temple, as we have already seen, is God's people. And God has already given us our job to build the temple of God. And it is Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Christ told us 2,000 years ago, build my temple, because my temple is my people that are converted under my gospel and come together to worship me. That is my dwelling place on the earth now. And so we build it through the command of making disciples of all nations. God has called us that no matter what our vocation is, we have been called to not primarily be about building our own kingdom, but, but about building God's kingdom. How are we doing? Are we a lot like the people of Haggai's day where, hey, I, I'm just worried about me. I'm worried about me and my family and, and making sure we have enough and, you know, I just don't have time right now maybe one day i'll build god's kingdom but right now i gotta worry about me when god has so clearly as he did as his word with authority came to haggai and the people said build up my temple he tells us go and make disciples and build up my temple the question is are we being obedient to what he's commanded so god continues in verse 5 now therefore thus says the lord of hosts consider your ways you have sown much and harvested little you eat but never have enough you drink but you never have your fill you clothe yourselves but no one is warm and and he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes thus says the lord of hosts consider your ways 
Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens uh, above you uh, have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. So God essentially asked them at this point, he says, hey, how's this self-centeredness working out for you? How's it going? You're all focused on yourselves and building up your kingdom. Is your kingdom being built? You feeling good about what you're doing? He says, you, you eat, but you're still hungry. You drink, you drink, but you never, never, you never fill up. And you go and you earn your money, but it seems like you're putting it in a bag with holes in it. You can, I mean, is that not just a, an amazing picture of what it means when you are so engaged in, in just building your own kingdom? It's like, I never have enough. I don't understand. My salary keeps increasing, but it's like I'm putting it, putting it in a, a bag with holes in The government takes a bunch more of it, and it's just gone. It's not really fulfilling like I think it is fulfilling. It should fulfill me. The more we concern ourselves with self, the more things seem to fall apart. What, the scripture asks, what does it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul. Self, the investment of self and, and my own kingdom is, is too leaky a vessel to hold your dreams and to hold your purpose. As long as you're just worried about you, you're not fulfilling the purpose that God's given you, which is to first and foremost invest in his kingdom. And we see this great response from the people. The people do what God had commanded, and starting with verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the, and the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, and the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I'm with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. They obeyed. It says they feared God. They obeyed and they feared God. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. They said, this, he's right. He's right. We need to move into action. And maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I think it's really interesting that of, of kind of the, the, uh, the order in which things happen. The first thing that happens, they just say, they obey. They said, okay, this is what we have to do. And, and it says they feared God. 
and they had a reverent fear that, okay, this is what God's asking, we need to do this. And then it says, then God sent a spirit uh, on them of obedience, a spirit of obedience. I think a lot of times we, we're just, in our mind, we're wired to think that I need to wait for the feelings to come. Like, if I know God wants me to do something, that I just need to wait until I want to do that thing. Until it's just a desire that I can't resist. Because if I'm just doing stuff and I'm not feeling it, doesn't that make me a hypocrite? And we're just kind of, we're kind of wired to kind of let our feelings come and then try to follow our feelings with obedience. That we have a marriage in turmoil and we, we say, well, I need, to, I need to be better, but man, I, I just, I don't feel like being better. I want to, I just want to keep hurting my spouse and I'll just wait until I feel like loving my spouse and then I'll love her. Or I, I, I don't want to forgive this person because I, I, that's just not something I want to do yet so I'm not going to forgive them. And yet the scripture seems to indicate that sometimes it's about saying I'm going to do what I know God's called me to do and then the feelings then follow the obedience that if you decide i'm going to love this person that i don't want to love or i'm going to do this action i mean we're commanded to give water to our enemies do you think you're ever going to want to do that do you think the desire and uh, and the want to is going to come before the action no you just got to do what god's called you to do and then in that obedience maybe god is going to give you a spirit of obedience and make you desire Folks, don't wait until you feel like obeying. Obey. And then ask God, beg God, hey God, help me to want to do this. But move into action. And that's what the people did. They built the house of God. We're going to see here, starting in in chapter 2, that they're, they're pretty discouraged after their work. It says... In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong. O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So what's happening here? What happens is they get to work and then they all step back and they look at their work and they go, that's not not great. It's not, not the best. And he's, he's specifically talking to those people that, that remember what the, the temple looked like in Solomon's day. And they look at what they've built and they think, it's, it's 
not that. And so they're discouraged by, by what they've put together. It's just, it's, and, 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 you know, it makes sense. I mean, Solomon was the heyday, right? I mean, Solomon had all these people bringing treasures to him for his wisdom, and, and so he had all kinds of resources. There were more people. This is a remnant that's come not at full strength, and they've done the best they could. Now, is God concerned? No, he's actually very encouraging to them. He says, guys, be strong. I know you look at that, and it doesn't look like much, but, but listen to me. The temple's going to be what it needs to be. I'm going to take care of it. There's going to be a future when that temple is beyond anything Solomon ever had. I'm going to do it. It's up to me. It's not, it's, you have been obedient, and you have been, you've done what I've called you to do. You didn't quite have the resources. It's, but I have the resources. I have the gold. I have the silver. It belongs to me. You're, you've been faithful. You've been faithful. I'll handle it from here. So guys, listen, guys, girls, listen to me. And just, just be obedient. And go think about how you can reach others with the gospel. And, and don't worry if it's not a perfect A-plus presentation of the gospel. Don't worry if they ask you questions that you don't know the answer to. Don't worry if you go to a coworker asking them, hey, can we read the Bible together? And they shoot you down. That's fine. But your call is to be faithful, and in, in your faithfulness, God says, hey, be strong. I got this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work great things through you, even though it doesn't always look as perfect as you would want. And so we see uh, in verse 10, it says this. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat on the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread and, or stew or, swine, or, or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with the dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. The Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and, and what they offer, there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap, of twenty measures, there was but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hell, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine and the fig, fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. And so there's a lot there. Um, we won't get deep into that, but essentially what, what God's saying is, you are people with tainted hands. That temple that you made, it's not perfect. It's, it's tainted because you are tainted. You're an unclean people. And that's why throughout this, this season, when you were ignoring my temple, when you were ignoring 
what you need to be doing for me. Uh, there were some hard times. But I want you to know that now, in your obedience, and now that you are being faithful, I am going to move into action. And he's saying, hey, get all the seeds out of the barn and plant them because you're about to get a great, a great harvest. I'm going to take care of you. Things are, are, are looking up. So we see, uh, to me, an unfolding there of, of Matthew six thirty three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And we see that. I mean, they were, they were first, they're, they're trying to gain the whole world, and they're losing their soul. They're, they're going after just their self-centeredness and, and what's best for them, not worried about God, and it's not going well for them. They, they never seem to have enough. They never seem to be satisfied with what they do have. And now in this moment of obedience and following God and seeking Him, we see that they seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then God begins to fill them, to fill their, He's going to fill their, their barns and their buildings with what they need, and they will be satisfied because they've sought God. And so it is with our lives that when when we're not fulfilling our purpose, when we're seeking our own purposes and our own good beyond and, and ignoring the kingdom of God, we'll never be satisfied. It's only when we get into the work that God's called us to do. And so then in this closing section of Haggai, we have this really interesting promise given to Zerubbabel. It's, 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 a, it's an amazing promise here that I think foretells of something awesome. Verse 20, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai. On the 24th day of the month, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down every one by the word of his brother on that day declares the lord of hosts i will take you o zerubbabel my servant the son of shealtiel declares the lord and make you like a signet ring for i've chosen you declares the lord of hosts so god tells zerubbabel this this governor that is really over this remnant that's not very powerful he says hey Zerubbabel, through you, uh, all the kingdoms are going to be overthrown, and I'm going to establish my kingdom. I'm going to shake, uh, shake the earth and the heavens, and I'm going to do great things through you. So what did he do through Zerubbabel? Well, we see it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 12 and the genealogy of Christ. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abuid, and so on and so on and so forth, and then Christ. And so the, the end of Haggai is about Christ is coming. Zerubbabel, you're your throne, your line is going, through it is coming a man that's going to shake the heavens and the earth. He's going to establish his kingdom 
forever, and, and you're going to have a part. You, it's going to be like a signet ring. You're going to have a part of this kingdom. So Haggai isn't ultimately instructions on how to rebuild a temple. It's instructions of how, it's, 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 it's a prophecy of how God is going to take over the world. And that He's going to send a son, and He is going to conquer the world. He's going to establish the kingdom of God uh, from the heavens and the earth and everywhere the kingdom of God will be established and Christ will reign. And that is the hope that we have. It's not just that we, we, we're kingdom seekers, but we should be, absolutely. But ultimately we know even our best efforts are going to be tainted with sin and it is only because we have the promise of a coming Messiah that we know in the end it's all going to work out right. The temple, the new temple, the heavenly temple is going to be, the temple, uh, temple of Solomon is going to have nothing on it. And this remnant of people uh, that God is overseeing and in covenant with, that kingdom is spreading and it will spread throughout the whole earth for all of eternity. And that's the day we look forward to when Christ will reign. Please stand as our musicians come. Maybe God has spoken to you through His Word that you've been very, very self-interested lately. That you've really been worried about you. And God is calling you to worry about His kingdom. To place His kingdom first and foremost in your life. And Maybe someone here who has never received Christ and hasn't received that coming King that's going to reign and make everything as it should be. Maybe you need to respond uh, to the King who came, who lived and died for you so that you might have life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, forgive us for so often, so often, pursuing our own interests above the kingdom and ignoring the kingdom. Ignoring what you've called us to do, ignoring our purposes. God, it doesn't satisfy. Only God, when we put you first, when we go after your kingdom, do we truly find our purpose and our satisfaction in you. And God, help us to learn from the people of Haggai's day that when we seek you first, we receive all that we need and receive all satisfaction that we could ever have. And move in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray.